okay, our crops are really progressing. So let's get in the field and, and they're easy, easy to set up, easy to do. Um, you don't have to set up a whole system like in the case of the Burkhardt or get a pedal testing kit. Um, you just put it in the field, wait, we're saying two to four days um, because our crops were going so fast into the next stage and sending in that test and then you already know, so. All right, uh, welcome everybody. This is Lewis Barda. Um, I'm your host for the Farming Smarter Podcast today. And today we'll be talking with Rachel Malenka with 2020 Labs about a spore trapping project that we've been working on for the last couple of years. Um, this project is it's a really interesting one. We're, we're looking at, you know, collecting spores in fields to determine whether or not pathogens for some, some important crop diseases are present. So um, I'm thrilled to be talking to Rachel about, uh, about the project. So welcome, Rachel. Thank you, Lewis. So maybe I'll start by giving a bit of an overview of the project itself. And, and Rachel, feel free to, to jump in um, Yeah, whenever you have a comment. And, and then we'll kind of dig into some of the details. So what we wanted to do with this project, you know, it's a, it's a collaborative project between Farming Smarter and 2020. And we saw, you know, together we saw some potential for spore trapping technologies to help farmers make better decisions. Um, so, so basically the technology allows us to fill in a piece of that disease triangle that, that we may not know ahead of time. So, you know, that disease triangle is the host, the pathogen and the, and the environment. And we do know a lot about the host, we know what crops we're growing, um, we know the cultivars, so how susceptible different varieties might be to disease. Um, we know the environment fairly well. You know, we know what the what the, the the temperature is, what the moisture is. We know the crop history, so we know our risk from that standpoint. But the, the pathogen is a little bit tougher to to um, zoom in on, to near, narrow in on, and and that's where the spore trap gives us that missing piece of information. So. You know, we wanted to test, you know, can we use this to make better decisions? So if the conditions are right for disease to be developed, um, you know, we look at that missing piece. Is the pathogen present as well? And if it is, that might help us make decisions. So maybe, Rachel, you can tell us a little bit about the, the Spornado 4 traps. Yeah, so the way that um, customers and that we recommend using it is the Spornado, if you haven't seen it, it's either an orange or white funnel, and it has a fin on the back of it. And as the wind blows off of the crop canopy and into the spornado, there's a cassette that has a membrane inside. And when you see it under the microscope, it actually looks like just a really tiny mesh. And that's actually where the spores get caught from the wind as the wind is blowing through this funnel. So after a few days of being in the field, um, the cassette is shipped or dropped off to our 2020 seed lab location in Nisku, Alberta. And our molecular technicians complete DNA extraction and run a PCR analysis to, deter <clears throat> excuse me, to determine if spores uh, from fusarium, sclerotinia, stripe rust, or late blight are detected in your field. So basically, it's just a passive spore catcher that's placed in your crop before fungicide application timing. Or in the case of potatoes, um, it can be used on a regular schedule from emergence to top kill. And really hands off, um, I think the reason that uh, we're having such success with this um, spore catcher is because it works, it's accurate, 
Um, it's passive, hands-off, easy to use, and as well as affordable. So how does how does this tornado system compare to some of the other options available? I know there there's maybe some uh, some of the Burkhart's um, volumetric units. Um, you know how does how does this this uh, system compare? Yeah. So in the case of the Burkhart's, they are taking um, a volumetric amount of air. Um, so it's not passive. It's um, actively trapping air, and then that air um, sample gets analyzed. Uh, the Burkharts are also uh, quite expensive, so they're not easily accessible to every grower in Alberta. Um, they are used on some monitoring networks for diseases in Alberta, um, such as late blight, um, but that's uh, funded and um, financed in different ways for that. Uh, there's also another option for sclerotinia um, using pedal testing and certain labs offer pedal testing. And what's interesting is we are right now in the middle of a study with Kelly Turkington at AFSC in Lacombe. And we are, part of that study is to determine how the spore catcher, um, our Spornado, uh, compares to Burkhart's and pedal testing as well and how those results um, change or are the same and kind of comparing those different methods of um, using spores as a determining factor on whether or not to spray fungicide or using it for um, determining your fungicide timing. Oh, that's interesting. So, so any, any results so far? Like, in, can you comment on, you know, some of the comparison between the three or is it a little bit too early in the study at this point? Uh, definitely too early. Uh, we are in the second and because of COVID, um, some of those trials got pushed to the summer. So we should have data available for our customers um, by next summer or the next winter, actually, as well. Um, just some preliminary analysis, potentially. And then um, after the third year, so that would be next summer is the third year, um, that following winter, we should have um, hardcore results from that study and uh, published results as well. Yeah, that'll be really interesting to see because there, there's certainly some pros and cons with the different options. Because um, I think, like you mentioned, the the Burkharts are they're quite expensive. I, th I think they're about twenty thousand dollars for a unit, um, but they are, they're also quite accurate, right? So one of the you know so to compare the Burkharts with the Spornado, you know you've got a highly precise scientific instrument that has a high cost. Um, whereas the, and, and is accurate. So, so it, it's the burger, as I understand it, can quantify, you know, how much spore, what's the spore load in the air? Um, how much air have we measured? Whereas the spornado, it's, you know, if it's windier, you're moving more air through it, but, but there's no measurement on that. We, we're basically saying, you know, who knows how much air has gone through. And then when we get the test results, we don't really know the quantity of the spore. We just know whether or not it's present. Um, but it's significantly cheaper, way easier to use. It takes no scientific expertise. Basically, like you said, you're basically popping that cassette in and out. Um, you know, the, the, the only tricky part is getting that timing right. So, so interesting, it'll be interesting to see how they compare as far as, um, you know, accuracy. Uh, and, and if this tornado is, is you know, um, compares favorably to the Burkhardt, that's a really, really um, cost-effective way to get uh, a pretty valuable piece of information. So actually what's interesting out of that study, we should also see the measurement of wind passing through the Spornado. Um, it'll be measured by an anemometer. And uh, we are actually 
um, planning on doing a study with Olds College as well next summer. So that would be the summer of 2022 and definitely getting wind data um, right beside the Spornado as well in that study. So that will answer the question of uh, the volumetric amount of air passing through and if that changes the results or accuracy. But for our recommendations um, currently, we just say that if it's dead calm um, for a couple of days that you have the cassette in the Spornado, just leave it in for a couple more days until you do get that um, light breeze to, you know, your heavy winds in Lethbridge. Um, and just making sure that that wind has the potential or is able to pass through the crop, crop canopy and um, head into that funnel and get caught by the membrane. So do your recommendations there, um, do they change based on which pathogen you might be detecting? Because, uh, you know, all these spores um, probably don't transport as easily as each other. Yeah, that's right. Um, and we can even think about stripe rust versus uh, sclerotinia, right? Different um, methods that the spores are being transported um, to the crop, air versus um, being, uh, you know, brought up by the apothecia um, in terms of sclerotinia. But um, for right now, uh, I'm very excited that we're using our, um, currently with Farming Smarter in your Spornado project, we're um, starting on first year with uh, stripe rust testing. So it's gonna be really interesting um, getting that data before um, putting the stripe rust test to the market. So the stripe rust test will be available to our customers um, next summer, so summer 2022 but it'll be good to get that data first and then we can make our recommendations for stripe rust based on um, your data because it will be a little bit different than our fusarium and sclerotinia recommendations where um, those spores are coming up mostly from the ground from wind and rain splatter versus the wind and stripe rust yeah yeah that's and, and that's uh yeah i'm glad you mentioned that i'm i'm, I'm actually quite excited to see um to see see the stripe rust results because I, I think you know, we talked about the disease triangle a little bit, and I think rust is one of those diseases that we know, um, you know, even less about the, the potential for the pathogen to be there because crop history doesn't really come into play as much because those those spores can really travel big distances, you know, so that there's probably, um, I would say there's less cultural management techniques that a farmer can, can undertake to mitigate risk for rust as opposed to, you know, sclerotinia, white mold that you can manage that risk through rotation to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So what, um, what are farmers uh, saying about this? You know, are, what, what do your clients think about the, um, about the Spornado and this, the, the system? Yeah, that's a really great question. So we've had kind of two very different years in Alberta. So I'd say last year, those who made the choice not to spray fungicide, it was based on um, the weather conditions because it was wet, but we had cool weather um, in certain parts of Alberta. Uh, whereas this year, of course, we know it's hot and dry. Um, so both, we need that high temperatures and high precipitations um, for disease establishment. That's what it loves, is the high humidity and, and, and moisture and uh, temperatures. Um, <clears throat> so in conditions like this year where it is, has, it is um, hot and dry um, or like last year where it was wet but cool, um, the, the weather does not lend itself for a high disease risk. So the Spornay results are an important tool in uh, these conditions because it can really give you um, 
that confidence in saying, okay, I have those spores in my field, even though my weather may be a little bit iffy, like, okay, if we get a rain this weekend, our disease risk might go up. So I better potentially spray this week. Um, if you, if you get those, uh, natal results and it does say detected, then you have that confidence saying, okay, um, it's lining up to be a high disease risk. Um, and there is potential for it. So maybe I will spray and that's a, and depends on how risk adverse, um, a grower is, but it's just putting, um, gathering all the information you can to make sure that those decisions are based on um, data from your own individual field um, and pairing that with risk assessment models that um, the Alberta government puts out for Fusarium and sclerotinia is really, really helpful. Um, so like I mentioned, the results from the testing will come back as detected or not detected for uh, disease spores in the field. So you can choose if you'd like to get testing on um, striped breast in the future for next summer, uh, Fusarium sclerotinia and late blight. And then you'll have your results uh, within 24 hours of the cassette arriving at the lab. That's what we guarantee. And we've been able um, to give our customers that uh, with no issue. Um, and then we just say that to ensure fast shipping, uh, use Curator or another overnight courier uh, just to get your sets to the lab as quickly as you can. Um, and on the other hand, when the disease has been in a high risk um, where it's been hot and humid and perfect for disease development. So let's say that's maybe what we get next year. Um, in those years, the spornado can really, really help as well with um, effective timing of fungicide. Um, so if you test for the pathogen all the way up to the fungicide application window, uh, growers can be sure that when they get a detected result, that will be the time to spray. Or you can use it for spornado timing for late blight fungicide application in potatoes. Um, it's also useful because when the late blight spores are present and you know they're present, um, whether that be on this week's test or next week's test, um, then you also know when to spray. So it's just gathering all the information that you can, very field specific for um, the current diseases that we're testing for. But in the future, also with your help, we hope to potentially um, for stripe rust, um, maybe establish a disease networking map or um, something like that for our customers as well. Yeah, yeah. No, so so are you finding that your that your clients are um, they're adjusting their behavior or their decisions based on this information? Like, are, are you getting feedback that hey, this has been a really useful tool, and we're yeah using it to actually change or decide how we how we approach um, crop protection? Yep, growers and agronomists actually as well. Um, they are calling us when they get our when they get their results and I'm able to help them um, assess their uh, weather and kind of what's been going on in their field after they get the results and and helping them with um, gathering all that information to help them make that decision and yeah they definitely are using it um, there's been some interesting uh, results where um, it's been in areas where we didn't really think fusarium was, and now we're getting fusarium detected on our spornado. So actually when that happens and what we've been doing for the past couple of years is um, anybody who gets a fusarium test and um, is detected on their uh, spornado results um, and either makes a decision on uh, to not spray or to spray, uh, we try and follow up with a 
plated or DNA fusarium test on the seed just to see how that fusarium, um, how the spores uh, either infected the field if they didn't spray or if it was prevented by spraying that fungicide. Yeah, okay, yeah, very interesting. Yeah, one of the one of the directions um, I'd like to go with this with this on this research stream is to sort of evaluate that um, that spray efficacy, you know, because I, I don't know how often farmers do it, and I think there's there's a lot of logistics involved in that. Uh, certainly here in southern Alberta, we get a lot of high value irrigated crops, um, and they may come in with uh, you know with with aerial application of fungicide, and we're finding that with it with our project even here. Um, so it's, it is tough to do those sort of, even a check strip, even if it's not a replicated trial, but even a check strip, I, yeah, I, I'd like to see farmers kind of doing that more. And, and if they do that in, um, in, in, in tandem with, with, you know, a spore trap, um, you, you kind of say, okay, you know, a spore trap said there's nothing here. I'm a little bit uncomfortable. I'm going to spray anyways, because I've got, you know, super high canola prices this year. But leaving that check strip might might give you um, a little bit more confidence in, in the system, in the decision making process, and the science behind it to, to say, hey, you know what, I can save some money, um, protect the environment by reducing fungicide applications. And on the other side, you know, where where you know if the pathogen is present and you're thinking ah borderline whether or not to spray, it's you know it might say, hey, it's worth it's worth spending the money. It's worth getting a custom person to come out because I'm too busy with this and this and this and I wouldn't get to it, but. Um, yeah, I, I just think that sort of evaluation of whether or not the, the, the crop protection was worth it. I, I don't know if there's a lot of that happening, and I, I, think it's, I think it's a worthwhile exercise. Yeah, and actually another interesting way that um, our customers were using this tornado because it is so flexible, um, and we saw that because our crops were progressing so rapidly this summer because of the heat, um, that our recommendations are usually between um, four to two cassettes uh, per field. So if you're quite risk adverse, um, start testing at maybe the rosette to early bolting stage. Um, but if you kind of want to hang out in the field a little bit shorter, then start testing um, at the beginning of bloom. Uh, so because the crops progressed um, so quickly this year, uh, we saw that um, maybe uh, lower testing was happening. So people weren't able to get the spornado in the field um, at that rosette or early bolting, but then they're still able to test um, before uh, bloom and before your 30%, in the case of canola, I'm thinking, um, before your 30% bloom, which is your optimal time to spray your sclerotinia product. Um, they were still able to, okay, our crops are really progressing. So let's get in the field and, and they're easy, easy to set up, easy to do. Um, you don't have to set up a whole system like in the case of the Burkhardt or get a pedal testing kit. Um, you just put it in the field, wait, we're saying two to four days um, because our crops were going so fast into the next stage and sending in that test and then you already know. So that's another thing that's quite useful that people said. Yeah, yeah, and I can, I can certainly speak to how, how easy they are to set up. Um, you know, once once we kind of had our, our poles and, and everything ready to go, there's sort of a threaded end on the top and the and the spore uh, the spore catcher just screws right onto there and it's it's like a little weather vane in the field. So um, I think we we had 18, 18 of them to set up for our trial and we easily got that done in a day. So pretty pretty quick process and and same with changing up those cassettes, easy easy to do. So um, so Rachel, can you can you talk me uh, walk me through the, the testing process, the science behind it a little bit? Um, 
my understanding is, you know, this is a, a PCR test that is, um, you know, and maybe talk a little bit about the older way of doing things where it was like you had to plate, you know, plate your sample and visually identify what, what's happening there, which um, would have had some risk of misidentification of, of the pathogen, whereas the PCR test, um, I understand, it, is, is quite reliable and accurate. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, we can get into some lab talk now. <laughs> so um, COVID uh, kind of gave um, everyone kind of knows or has heard of PCR testing now because of our COVID tests that we've had to do. So um, it, that is actually similar to what we're doing for the spornado pathogen testing, believe it or not. Um, so what happens when the cassette arrives in our lab is our lab technicians, um, of course, we, it goes through sample entry, it gets its own lab number um, that is related to the cassette number and also your customer account. Um, so our lab technician uh, pops open the cassette and the membrane is actually able to be removed. So it's kind of just a flimsy piece um, of mesh, um, but all your spores and everything is trapped in there. Um, and they put the membrane into a small tube that is two milliliters. So it's actually called a two milliliter microcentrifuge tube. Uh, that can be your uh, dinner discussion tonight. <laughs> a little bit of a vocabulary. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so um, then, uh, so this is all part of DNA extraction. That's our first step. So DNA is inside the cells that the spore, or inside the uh, cell, like spore cells. So basically what the idea is, is we want to get the DNA out and into solution um, by means of mechanical and chemical breakdown. So we use some glass beads, we use um, a geno grinder. So that's kind of shaking up those tubes at, 1300 revolutions per minute um, for a couple of minutes there. And then for the chemical breakdown to get that um, DNA out of those cells is uh, we're using um, some buffers that break through cell walls. So um, the buffers are, are different for, that's kind of where we diverge away from the COVID testing. So you can use different buffers for um, like human cells, virus cells. And so we're using um, some plant buffers for and like disease buffers for these spores um, to break through their uh, cell walls and get that DNA. So placed in a water bath, kind of just to speed up that chemical breakdown. Um, then it's put in a centrifuge. So um, that's the part of that's the machine that just spins it around quite rapidly. Um, and basically what that's doing is separating the DNA solution from the dirt and debris and everything else that's on the membrane um, your, from your cassette. So this is kind of a question that comes up is, okay, if I put the spornado next to a gravel road and dust blows into it, is that gonna affect my results? And no, it's not. So that's what we love about the DNA analysis and PCR analysis, DNA extraction and PCR analysis is that um, very accurate. So we don't need to take the individual spores off of the membrane and plate it, like you said, um, we're just looking for DNA. And if we're able to break down these cell walls, we'll get it. Um, if we do get a cassette that is quite dirty um, and if there's like lots of dirt in it, then the DNA extraction may have to be repeated or a filter can be used to separate the large particles from the DNA solution. So very easy and not a big deal at all. I know we've had experience with the, um, your project with Farming Smarter where we've had some cassettes caked in mud and that was a little hard to get out the DNA, but um, we're guaranteed to get it out. Um, so anyway, so these tubes are in the centrifuge 
and they're going to come out and the DNA is going to be on top and everything big and heavy will be on the bottom of these tubes. Um, then we just put a few through a purification process. So using some vacuums and, and filters and everything like that. Um, so at the end of it, we have pure DNA from the spore cells and everything else is washed through. So we take that DNA and now this is where our PCR analysis comes through. And um, basically that just means uh, it's a polymerase chain reaction. So if you remember from, back from bio, polymerase is an enzyme. Um, basically that just does this reaction. Um, so in order to see the DNA, basically you have to duplicate it. So it's like trying to find one needle in a haystack or trying to find a million needles, which would be way easier. So that's what we're doing. Um, so that's where, so we have um, primers and that's another thing. So buffers and primers are specific to uh, the extraction PCR that we're doing versus a COVID test will have different buffers and primers as well. Um, so these primers are looking for either your sclerotinia, fusarium, late blight or striparous pathogen. And each time um, it finds it, that DNA duplicates. So it lets off a fluorescence that is graphed and then compared to a control. Um, and then from this graph, this is the final step. From this graph, then we can see if the pathogen DNA has crossed the limit of detection or not. And that's where we get your results. If it's um, detected over the limit of detection, trace detected um, just a bit, or if it's not detected. Yeah, yeah that's quite the process. Mm -hmm. So then, and, and then you can you can um, adjust the process to to detect you know just about anything you know um, I know when we had talked last year you guys were working on building a strike rust test hadn't had it done but you brought in the source material and you were able to find that right um, but I don't know what you would call it that right curve that'd be the primer to to. Okay, yeah 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 that'd be the primer yeah. that we're looking for that will. Um, be, let us uh, be able to make those graphs and then give us those results. So, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. then ostensibly you could, you know, other diseases that crop up or other possible pathogens, you could identify those as well the same way, just a matter of sort of getting that sort of material, that primer. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly yeah. right. Very cool. Yeah. So, so um, what, what's, what's some possible future directions for this technology? Mm -hmm. Definitely lots of potential. Like we're seeing even with your project now, we're onto stripe rust, we're onto potentially getting a monitoring network going in the future. We're getting all this data from our research and making our recommendations based on those solid results from our um, research projects. Um, something that is really cool, like your, your project, we're getting um, all of our data from those, but we're actually also working on um, a project in Manitoba right now to use the Spornado to develop a late blight monitoring network there. Um, and um, like I said, then also maybe taking some of that um, uh, lessons from collaboration and kind of how that's working out um, to establishing a striperous monitoring network here in Southern Alberta. Yeah, I, I really like that idea. I think I think that's a way that um, you know I think there's a ton of value to, to producers to kind of know know what's happening out there, um, and and it's a collaborative piece, right? So so it's not just you know this farmer A, farmer B, and farmer C all kind of doing their own thing, but it's sort of you know you've got these things all over the place, and, and people can kind of tap in and 
can access um, yeah, whether it's through a subscription or some publicly funded thing, whatever. Um, yeah, it would be just so nice to kind of have that information because um, I think farmers are paying attention to that stuff. It, 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 certainly when you get to some of the insect stuff, right? It's like, okay, here's you know the forecast for grasshoppers or this or that. Um, so if we could have that for some of these pathogens, man, that would be, you know, we've got, you know, I think about the ACES weather system, right? There's whatever, 100, 150 different weather stations across the province. Well, you know, why not set up uh, sport tracks for, for six weeks at, at each of those and, you know, get those tests done. And, and then we kind of know, yeah, here's what's happening. So yeah, I think that's I think it's the idea. Awesome. So um, if, if, a, if a farmer or an agronomist wants to start doing some spore trapping, spore testing, how do they get started? Mm -hmm, yeah, so you can contact our lab and um, you can ask for me, Rachel, and I can get you um, all the information that you need. But uh, for this year, we're kind of out of our fungicide staging already, so it'd, it'd be planning for next year to use it. Um, Usually in the spring is when we start getting um, our orders ready for cassettes and units. So um, that's kind of when we start our ordering process and shipping it out to our customers to so everybody has it for the spring and, and able to have it for the summer. Um, so we have a promotional package that includes um, the one Spornado unit. So that, that's the funnel and the fin and everything um, and two cassettes. So the cassettes come with the testing um, and the testing is $120. So um, in total, this prom promotional package, one unit and two cassettes is $490, and that includes the testing for one pathogen on, on one cassette. Um, with uh, additional testing um, after this would be $120. So the way that it works is um, the cassette can be used to, for any of the pathogen tests. Um, so it's only when it comes into the lab that you have to decide, okay, I put it in canola, I have to tell the lab that I want sclerotinia testing or any of our pathogen tests that we offer. Um, so next year, if you have some leftover cassettes and you're like, okay, I want to try it for a fusarium and some wheat fields, um, you're able to use those exact same cassettes. Um, they're not uh, ear tagged for any uh, individual pathogen. Um, so yeah, so for $490, that'll get you started um, for the year. And those two cassettes is uh, what I'd say is a good kind of trial um, to use a Spornado in a field. Um, and what we recommend is one Spornado per field, just uh, with the nature of sclerotinia and fusarium and late blight, how those spores travel. Um, so I think that's usually where people get started. That's where our customers have been getting started. And then um, if they like it, they'll order more the following year or during that season, we have a whole um, inventory available to ship out. And um, then just continuing to buy cassettes for the following years um, and testing for those. So uh, I believe this is, um, it is an investment uh, for this tool for sure. Um, and we know that and for the testing as well, but in the whole um, face of uh, fungicide prices and um, your return on investment and everything like that, knowing that your fungicide is going to be effective because you have those spores, because you have that weather um, versus kind of just spraying blindly, um, it really is affordable in that mindset. And it is a good investment that way. And like you said, I love your point about um, being uh, environmentally um, conscious 
and spraying when you need to as well. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, I think there's a ton of potential for for being able to you know be accountable for those for those types of decisions. Um, and again, in the grand scheme of what uh, you know, what a fungicide application costs, or, or perhaps multiple fungicide applications in the field, um, kind of seems like yeah. If you knew there's no there's no pathogen there, um, and your risk levels are lower, like yeah, just just seems like a good fit. So, um, and I should mention that uh, so as part of our research project, you know, you talked about locating one one spore trap per field. So one of the things that we wanted to determine with the project itself was, you know, where do we place these things in the field? Um, does it make a difference? And so what we've done is we've chosen a high-risk location, which would be sort of a, a wetter, low spot in the field. And we're all irrigated locations. We wanted as, as you know, elevated disease risk to begin with. So, we, so high-risk would be sort of where your crop canopy is gonna be more dense. You've got less wind, you've got more moisture. Um, Low-risk would be maybe a hilltop, um, sparser, crop canopy, um, probably less moisture, maybe more wind. And then we wanted to test out a, a field edge location. So, you know, does it, does, it, does it work if you just pop it right at your, your driveway into the field? Um, logistically, that's kind of an easy way to get in and out. To, you know, you're scouting that field every couple of days. You don't have to get right in there, uh, especially in something like canola. Um, you know, that's, that's quite difficult to walk through. Um, and, and so one year of data has, has showed us that um, for the most part, our results are highly consistent across locations. So it's not looking like it makes a big difference where you place them in the field, um, just so far as they're, you know, in or adjacent to the field and then getting the same results that way. So, yeah. So any, any, last, uh, any last comments on spore trapping, technology, uh, potential opportunities, Science, what do you got for me, Rachel? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, like I said, it's affordable, easy to use. Um, it's sustainable in the long run. It, it accounts for being environmentally conscious and um, spraying when you need to or having that accurate spray, spray timing. And um, it is really helping our customers and agronomists. So I'm excited for potentially more um, growers and agronomists to start using this technology. Um, it is an egg tech. So that's a, another kind of cool thing where we're moving along and um, with all of our research and new testing and everything, uh, we're able to kind of, you know, expand into um, getting some of this information from the field that we were never able to before. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Um, and actually, Rachel had come and visit Farming Smarter about a week ago, and we had a nice tour, took a look at some of our, our field sites and Farming Smarter plots and had some good discussion about, you know, this technology and other things. Um, so, yeah. So, again, thanks for, thanks for joining me today. Um, so, yeah, if you are interested in, some, in, in, in the technology, contact Rachel at 2020 Labs. Um, so they'll get you set up for next for next season for 2022. Um, you know everything you need. Um, they can kind of send your way, and also stay tuned to Farming Smarter because we're going to continue to um, share what we're learning through this project, and and we're we're looking at some ways to sort of add a little bit to this project. Um, and, but we'll kind of see where that takes us. So and if you have questions uh, for either of us, uh, yeah, please reach out. So that's, I guess that's that. So that all, this is Lewis signing off on the Farming Smarter podcast. Um, so stay connected to Farming Smarter 
and we'll talk to you next time.